You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome. Eric Bach here with the Look Great Naked podcast. And today, are you over 40 or close to it and want to build an elite level physique? If so, you are in the right place. Today, my good friend, mentor, Brian Cron, coach, writer, and author of Men's Health Muscle After 40. And oddly enough, back in 2014, <laughs> Brian Cron was the first editor of mine over at T Nation. So um, he played a very important role in me getting my footing in the uh, the industry and, and helping get information out there. Brian, it is great to connect with you. Hopefully we can rein in our laughter because we've been going <laughs> off the chain for about 10 minutes right now, but um, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Hey man, great to be here. Great to be here. Love your awesome. channel. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, so what we want to talk about today, because you've been in this game for a long time, both as a coach and as a writer and editor, right? And yeah. you know, one interesting thing that you mentioned before we really got rolling here was you have seen so much content. You have edited so much content in the fitness industry that you can pick out exactly what stuff is getting cherry picked and rewritten from other coaches and used as content <laughs> today. It's unbelievable. Well, I think, uh, well, TC Loba and, and Lou Schuler would, would definitely hold the, hold the crowns for that. But yeah, it's like, once you edit something, even though it was 20 years ago, kind of like more so than reading it, once you edit and work on something, it kind of sticks in your head. So nowadays I'll be like, I'll see a blog or something like a post come up and I'll be like, man, that looks familiar. And sure enough, I'll, I'll dig it down and I'll find it. And a lot of you people are cheaters. <laughs> a lot of plagiarism out there. There is a lot of plagiarism out there, man. I've had more than one like entire article and entire sales pages just completely ripped word for word. But um, oh yeah, they get you a lot. Yeah. yeah hey, <laughs> hey it's, I guess it's flattering. It is flattering yeah. to an extent, but um, <laughs> no one copies my shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know what that alludes to, though, is like right, you know, longevity in the fitness industry. Whether you're a coach, whether you are a creator whatever space, whatever area you fill within that void, it takes a long time. And there's a lot of things that tend to get repeated. Yet what a lot of people really struggle with is how to adapt their training as they get a little bit older. And you've been doing this for so long. You've seen so much content, had so many successful clients that I want to dig in how to build muscle after 40. And let's just kind of jump into that conversation right now and let's highlight what are some of the key problems that you see and say for the lifter who's been around the barbell around the gym for 10 15 20 plus years it's always a handful of the same issues that you know men and women face especially men you know around you know once they hit 40 is that their injuries start to catch up to them invariably if you train hard at any point you know for a few years you're gonna acquire this wear and tear no matter how safe no matter how scared you train and then you combine that we're just at the ultimate peak of being busy so you get these two things that are just, you know, it's, it's a perfect storm. So all of a sudden you're not training as much. You're not training as hard. Training isn't as fun when you do, you know, you go less frequently. And then when you do go, things don't feel as good because you're a little more awkward. You're kind of out of, you know, out of shape, so to speak. You're not moving as well. Combine that with restrictions and people just literally will go from consistent five days a week, like hardcore committed weight trainers to just not enjoying training at all. And I think that's the biggest thing is it just stops being fun that way. It's not so much that they can't do it. It's just all of a sudden it's, it's, it stops being fun. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, I see that a lot as well. You know, somebody will be really well, they'll be very consistent for years and you start getting even, you know, lower to mid thirties, life starts to pick up, yeah. really starts to peak. Kids get different ages, career, um, mm -hmm. in, you know, inevitably you have stress with family members who are getting yeah. older, starting to deal with health issues, and it can be just so much stress kind of hitting your body all at once. You combine that with having years of wear and tear on your joints just from being alive, let alone training hard. <laughs> yeah. and, and pretty soon, 
at least what I find is many people will want to do things the same way that they did when they were 25. And those things are not fun anymore. And they're not quite sure how to adapt, especially in the gym. Is that something that you see often? Oh, totally. And it, and it doesn't help that people are, you know, all of us, we're, we're, we're kind of smarter than ever. The, the training knowledge and training level aptitude is, is at an all-time high. So you got people knowing how to optimally train. And then all of a sudden you can't do it anymore because, you know, oh, my shoulder's always hurting. My shoulder's always hurting. I can't overhead press. I can't flat bench. I can't. And that list gets, that's, that list gets longer and longer. But doing something, but regressing it feels like, oh, I, that's, that's suboptimal work. You know, I can't use that. You know, I can't do a cable chest press. You know, if I can't do a dumbbell or a barbell or a hammer strength, then what's the point? You know, I, I don't want to do something that's suboptimal. And meanwhile, these, the difference between ideal and, you know, pretty damn close, it's like a mere percentage points. But I find a lot of people, if they can't do ideal, it, it gets so frustrating for them. They often will not train at all. Yeah, especially with people who are, you know, quote unquote, high performers. They hold themselves yeah. to a high standard in, in many different ways in their life, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, typically how you do anything is how you do everything. And so yeah. if you're a person who tends to push very hard and you can no longer push in the same way that you did before and then going, as you mentioned, from a, a barbell bench press to having to use maybe a cable you know, doing a, you know, costal cable press or something like that. Yeah. You're thinking, what the heck is this? It's completely different than what I did before. Yeah. And so essentially what happens is people stop being interested in training or they're not sure how to adapt things properly. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to training after 40, let's talk exercise selection. What are some specific changes that you typically see or like to make? I mean, are people avoiding the barbell more? What does that look like? Uh, well, there's, you know, there's the handful of classic kind of, you know, overuse injuries that especially guys will acquire. And it's probably 80% of the clients, male clients I work with, they, they've got a shoulder issue of some kind. Close second would be probably elbow or knee. And then there's always lower back. Often when I work with someone, especially with the shoulder, I, I even if their shoulders are great, they don't have any pain, I'll already start kind of like, we do more dumbbell work, we do stuff with a neutral grip, we're going to be Make sure you're clear to press overhead, all these things. Even if their shoulders feel great, just because I know the writing's on the wall. It feels great now, but in five years, it'll, it'll probably be. And again, the training effect they get from these modifications is just as good. So it's not like they're sacrificing progress. But for, you know, for the most, the biggest kind of rule of thumb I find is never work through pain. Like you have to, and that's where that whole optimal versus almost optimal kind of conversation comes back again. Because even if you have to do movements that maybe aren't quite as, I don't know, biomechanically good. I don't even know what the word is. You know, yeah. if it doesn't hurt, like it's better. I mean, I, I always laugh when I see people posting like, whenever I do lateral raises like this, you know, it, it hurts my shoulders like crazy, you know, but I keep doing them because I don't want to do an inferior version. I'm like, well, yeah. it's hurting you. <laughs> it's, it's already inferior. So that's the biggest thing. Like there are no must do exercises in this game. So never work through pain is probably the most important thing you can kind of drill into your head. Yeah. I see that so often. And yeah. again, I mean, you know, this, you know, from the editing side is anytime that there's a piece of content created, a piece of content is generally created, not necessarily to provide context and argument on both sides. It's to hammer an argument. Right. And yeah. so you see a lot of people will fall in love with a particular tool or a training methodology. You know, you have to bench squat deadlift. You have to do everything <laughs> yeah. with a barbell. And I see that so many people start with something like that. And mm -hmm. frankly, it does very well to build that foundation of strength oh, and yeah. build those yeah. movement patterns, but the failure to adapt mm -hmm. when things are starting to hurt because their ego stays attached directly to those exercises is one of the biggest issues that really leads people to both get stagnant with their training and turn these small aches and pains into really long-term injuries that can truly sideline, sideline their training. Yeah. Like absolutely. Like a perfect example, like is like a chin up or a pull up. 
I mean, if you do them, you know, fantastic exercise, great upper back builder, you're going to eventually you're going to burn out your, your elbow. Like it just, it just happens probably to yep. throw a number, probably 70% of people. So the natural thing is, okay, we'll switch to a pull down, you know, something where you can, or avoid vertical pulling altogether, do more rowing. The, the minor difference is that you're, you're not getting this ideal, because you know, there's nothing better than a, especially a weighted chin up. There's probably, there's just feel great. There's, yeah, there's nothing better. But you can get a, a much, basically an identical training effect, especially for hypertrophy, an identical training effect with, with a slightly different variation and not burn out your joints. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? So, Yeah, and I think it's having that perspective of like, yeah. I want to do this shit when I'm 65, 70, yeah. 80, you know? Mm-hmm. And me as someone who comes from a, kind of a strength and conditioning performance yeah. type background, listen, I love that type of training. Mm-hmm. However... Now, even in my mid thirties, I'm like, and we we're talking about this before for me, hammering a heavy squat, it might be something that would be optimal. It's suboptimal in that one, it causes joint pain yep. to the point where it impairs my ability to do something like drop down and pick up my daughter, which yep. that's bullshit. I'm not dealing with that. Yep. And in addition, if something isn't optimal or if something is viewed as being optimal, but you can't do it without being in pain, if it compromises your ability to stay consistent, then it's mm-hmm. no longer optimal. I would much rather follow a program that is suboptimal in terms of all these different parameters in terms of the tool being used or or the loading parameter being used. If you can lock in that consistency, Mm -hmm. that consistency is what compounds over time when it comes to making the best progress possible. And I'm sure that's what you see as well. It's like your clients who can stay consistent are the ones who get the best results. Whereas people who go fucking ape shit for like six months, but blow everything out, then they're on the shelf for another six months. That's when it really gets to be problematic. Uh, Yeah. And, and, it's that whole mindset that that's what the, probably the biggest thing that's got to change is, is as you get older, you have to be a lot more flexible and, and just with everything in terms of like your training days and, and obviously your exercises and, and your training days and your rep ranges. And you have to be a lot more on the fly. Perfect example is like, if you, you don't like to, let's say you don't like to do two upper body days in a row. If your life dictates that these are the only two days where you can train these, but like, just do it. Like, yeah, it might not be optimal from a recovery perspective or whatever, but your body, I always tell my clients, like, your body's going to figure it out. And as long as this is not, let's say, three days in a row, as long as you're not consistently lifting weights three days in a row, if this is just like an only an occasional thing, you're not going to overtrain. You're not going to overtax. Like, just get the work in. And if it does occur consistently, then we got to step back and look at your your programming and, and everything as a whole. Yeah. And this that kind of a flexible mindset that you apply that to exercises, too. You show up and, I don't know, you're doing a, an easy bar curl. He's like, man, this is hurting my elbow. And do something else. Do something else. Do a you know a supinated dumbbell curl. Do a cable curl. Don't do curls. I know. <laughs> Last week, take a week off from your biceps aren't going anywhere. It's a tough message to get out there because it sounds really kind of soft. Like if you know, if you hire a coach and he's like, eh, don't worry about it, do this instead. Eh, don't worry about it. Just, you know, you'd be like, this freaking guy has no <laughs> he has no yeah. backbone, <laughs> you know. But in in reality, that's the wisdom of it, is is you're listening to your body and then you're applying. You know, you're, you're taking what it gives you, you know, you're not just backing off, you're, okay, you're backing off and then you're giving it something else. You know, like, I like to say that when you get older, training is much harder, but you can't train as hard, you know, because yeah. you have to cover so much, you have to be aware of all these things like, okay, I can't do this exercise, it's starting to hurt, so I'm going to try this one out instead. You know, I'm going to, you have to keep your volume a little bit lower, and you have, ideally you have to keep your technique rock solid. Um, and then there's all the other things outside of the gym that's... Plain to younger, health. Yeah, health, but... Like when you're, I like to say, like when you're younger, you don't, you, you can really compartmentalize. Like you can go out and get blasted at the bar till 2 a.m. And when you're 19, say, and then the next day go in and squat a PR, no problem. 
done it, my, done it myself yeah. well, well into my 20s. Try to, if I did that now, I'm 50. If I did that now, I'd be definitely in the emergency room. Probably ICU, if I'm being honest. You know, like, skip the ER. But, like, because you can't compartmentalize like that. You have to be a lot more, you have to have all your ducks in a row, basically. Yeah, all the little details start to matter quite a bit more, right? And you have to build the skill set. And, like, you know, one thing that I like to, to preach is, I teach my clients how to become self-sufficient. I want yeah. them to understand what we're doing and why, and then how to make those adjustments. So for example, yeah, your shoulders beat up and you have a bench press. Okay. Can we go to a, a closer grip? Does that solve the issue? No. Yeah. Okay. Can we go to dumbbells? Still an issue. Can we go neutral grip? Okay. Still an issue. Can yeah. we go to cable? Still an issue. Can we go with a fully machine supported? Right. And so it's like, how can you look at the movement patterns, the key components that you have in your mm -hmm. training and understand these are the adjustments that I need to make? Do I need more stability? Do I need to make an adjustment in my tempo and my loading? And when you start to learn how your body can perform while still keeping the goal, like in this case with a bench press, it could be building your chest, building your triceps, building your anterior delts as the focus. Well, then the tool doesn't become quite as important because mm -hmm. you're still understanding that key principle and able to make those adjustments on the fly. And that's something that takes decades to learn how to do. When you do embrace it though, it kind of, I, I just, I was speaking for myself personally, it kind of softens you a little bit. All of a sudden you're like, you're not as dogmatic about your, you know, your training code, your <laughs> training principles. And, uh, and it actually gives you kind of a more of an appreciation of, of just interesting. This whole thing is weight training and building your body and how there's so many different ways to do it. And there's, you know, there's no one best way. There's like, there's ideal methods, but it depends on the context of, the, of that person. So like what's ideal for, well, you now are probably pretty similar despite your youth. Um, <laughs> what might be ideal for us might, you know, would be different for someone else. And just be depending on their work schedule or their age or their just their physical limitations or, or whatever. As you get older, it just kind of, it, it, it does mellow you out in that way as you're like, okay, you know, every, Everybody is a little bit different. Everyone is on a slightly different path. And there's so many different ways to reach this end goal. Definitely. And I think that's such an important lens from which to look at the information yeah. that you consume and the way that you train and go through the process, really how that becomes, right? Because there's so much information out there. We have a wealth of information, yet I like to say a poverty of wisdom of knowing yeah. how to apply that directly, right? And it don't mean that the criticism, it's just that yeah. Everything comes out in such tiny little bits of information that people gain all this surface level knowledge of it. But until you know how to put those pieces together into a comprehensive program, oh, and then consider the complexity of every individual person and the nuances yeah. that are happening with stress and how these things interact with your body, it can be very overwhelming to be doing a lot of things right, but not getting the results that you should or that you think you should be based on what you're doing. And mm -hmm. so something that we've kind of you know, touched around a little bit would be stress, right? That's obviously something that tends to go up as, as life goes, goes on yeah. and tying your training together and really doing things that you don't like and like stress management, like how big of a, of a focus does that need to be for somebody who's say 40 and getting a little bit older yet trying to optimize their physique? It's such a nebulous thing. Like you always hear, Oh, you got to manage stress. And okay. And then you take a step back like, okay, what exactly does that mean? And you start to realize that now I'm getting into kind of like huckster language because everybody's got stress. Some people just can't deal with even modest stress and other people's a machine, even with really, really high stress. The number one thing I do when I kind of work with someone is I just try to get them into a, like into a mental state through exercise and through lifestyle of just of consistency, basically trying to just calm everything down. So if I, in other words, I look at their schedule and see where can we get into a pattern? Like, and you know, my heart goes out to people who work shifts. Uh, if you work shifts and you got young children, man, if I, if I had two my hearts, heart goes out to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got no hearts left, man. But like, it's another, it, that's tough. You know, it, it's tough to, 
But the more kind of consistency that you can put into your life, that's probably the easiest way is to lower things down a little bit. The best way to learn a lesson is to experience it yourself. And as anyone who's ever moved, <laughs> you've ever moved a house with a, and you have young kids, you're like, holy shit, you know, I've been, why am I so stressed right now? Because you're in chaos, you know, invariably. Yeah. So the more you can kind of keep your home life consistent, it's, and again, it's all a process. Nobody's going to have this perfect, you know, get up at the exact same time every day and everything's done for them. Well, I guess if you're a 21 year old fitness influencer. Exactly. <laughs> you know, read a like, couple books, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But you know the idea is kind of just to operate life from okay, to keep as much consistency as I can, and then when you have a what I like to do is when I get somebody's an idea of what their life is like in terms of their work and their commute and their family life and their obligations, where can I insert training in there that will not only fit their schedule but also kind of reinforce this consistency? All of a sudden, training becomes like okay, it's it's not just this thing that I got to go do to get my goal. It's this thing that kind of keeps me anchored. It's like this thing that keeps me centered and. and more so than training, I find it's daily walking. Yes. Like if I can get somebody getting out of bed before their family even and getting 30 minutes, like that will, like first thing in the morning, that will do huge lengths just to kind of lower the <laughs> lower the lifestyle inflammation, I guess. Totally. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. daily stress reduction, things like that. And really, one, I'm a huge fan of the daily walks in the morning, yeah. ideally around sunrise. You can set that circadian rhythm and have yeah. a little time to yourself. Will you burn a few calories? Yes, but that's yeah. really the last thing I'm concerned about with it. But like, it, it's mm -hmm. just a time to yourself and a time for you to relax and really start stacking a win. Yeah. And we can have that anchor, as you mentioned, have an anchor position where it's like when you start the day knowing that you're doing something for your health, it really sets that snowball going downhill where mm -hmm. the next choice becomes easier. You also mentioned just in terms of keeping consistency, right? I've personally found, and I've been very fortunate to have some of my clients now for literally like my entire training career from being yeah. in person to now online, where it's like the ones who are most successful, they train at the same time yeah. every single day. Mm -hmm. They eat the same basic foods consistently every single day. Mm -hmm. Now they might have, you know, the occasional, you know, yeah. dinner out or yeah. do something different for dinner, but like 80% of what they're doing is the same each day. When you embrace some of that quote unquote monotony, mm -hmm. you got to think like, the people who get in the best shape in the world, they do the same things over and over again. The athletes who perform the best in the world, they do the same routine over and over and over again. Yep. The people who get lean will tend to eat the same foods over and over and over again. And yep. so the idea is to get away from just thinking everything has to be about kind of fun and entertainment and keeping the variety in there. Because when you introduce more variety in terms of some of these different areas, not talking about variety and being adaptable with your training program, but um, variety in terms of daily routines and structures, yeah. it eliminates decisions. And when you can make something as simple and as automated as brushing your teeth, and that's mm -hmm. the way that you eat, and mm -hmm. making the right choices, that's how you open up a ton of headspace. You can take stress down and shit, look good naked, right? Especially <laughs> if you're doing the right things. Well, yeah, and, and it always kind of makes, when I work with somebody new and, and I, that's, you summed it up perfectly, by the way, and I kind of give them that, that exact same that exact same speech, which you did much better than I do. Often I might get, well, you know, I kind of like my variety, man. I kind of like, you know, and I'm like, oh, really? And I'm like, well, keep a food log for a week and you'll always see the same things. Same breakfast if they have it, same snacks, often the same lunch, if not very, very similar. Yep. Uh, very, you know, variation of fast food or variation of a salad of some kind. Again, same afternoon snack. It's dinner. And even that is like, it's not like one day they're having, you know, freaking curry and the next day they're having, you know. Barbecue. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. It's like. It's, it's a lot of variations of the same thing. So you point that out and say, well, look, you're already basically a creature of habit. You know, it's so then it's like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 
And then it's fine tuning that dial just yeah. a little bit to make yeah. things better. Yeah, that's that's kind of how the whole process is is more kind of like consistency applied to it. You get into a good repeatable plan that you can evaluate. Then you can, you know, that's one of the keys of getting that daily rhythm in. Yeah, and actually that's a, that's a key point, right? Like. Yeah. How are you going to really know what's working if you're changing the formula all the time? Well, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I had a client, uh, we had a call yesterday and she said, Eric, you know, I was working with this in-person trainer and every time I came in, you know, we were doing different exercises. We've seen a typical thing with a personal <laughs> trainer in the gym, right? Like yeah. they're changing everything up. Everything's a circuit. And the idea is they want to keep their client entertained oh, and yeah. they keep them coming in, which... Again, I, I don't want to shit on somebody's ability to make money and probably have a great relationship with somebody. But she was like, how come this is working so much better when we have exercises done in three to six week blocks? And I said, well, the reality is it takes your body a couple of weeks to even just go through getting familiar with a movement again. Yeah. And if you are never getting familiar with a movement, you can't master it. And when you cannot master the way that you perform a movement, just from a technical perspective of doing everything correctly, mm -hmm. you're never going to be able to tap in and say, for example, improve the mind-muscle connection. Mm -hmm. For example, if you take somebody who's never done a squat before, put a bar on their back, they look like a drunk baby giraffe falling all over the place. Right. But if you have them keep doing that, it starts to get a little bit more smooth, a little bit more smooth. Now, if I would take Brian as an example of somebody who's done squats thousands of times, you can make very slight adjustments and change things dramatically. So, for example, you could have your toes straight on. You could push your knees over your toes and really slow down your tempo and focus on your quads. Or you could widen your feet out, externally rotate your feet and emphasize your adductors, your glutes, and your hamstrings, or even do a powerlifting squat while tapping yep. into those muscles specifically. And so I think one thing that's so important is like having that consistent rotation of exercises. And if you have to make some changes, you do, but you have to be able to master how those movement patterns look. Um, and I'm coming back around because this ties into something that we talked about before we actually started hitting record. And you mentioned personally with squats, like you haven't been doing them quite as much anymore. And mm -hmm. so like, what is like, how important is it to treat strength training like a skill yeah it's really yeah i don't I, admittedly i haven't been squatting as much as i normally do but but to my i'm doing i still train legs at least once a week and i make sure i single leg squat so i still get that squat pattern in yeah you especially these core lifts like these uh you know beat a squat a deadlift the press what well, quite frankly almost every weight training exercise save like the really simple isolation lifts they're all skills you can never you'll never be perfect at them and that's another, frankly another thing as I learned as I've gotten older is that when I stopped chasing poundages quite so much and started focusing, okay, really good form on these lifts. You know, yeah, on the, ice, yeah, the freaking cable curls, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll get my exactly. meter on and you know, <laughs> have know. a great time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, but about, you know, a squat, now I'm going to really, I'm going to keep a few reps in the hole. I'm going to focus on good form. Like, what's film myself? Okay, what does it look like? Oh, it looks terrible. Okay, what I got to work on? Um, and just treating them like these, these, they're projects that I'll never, I'll never master them but I can slowly get better at them, you know, even as you get older. And that often requires lightening the loads. And it requires, again, training more submax. Um, is that ideal for growth? I frankly, I think it is. I think people shit on, pardon the language, people shit on submax work and say, oh, that's junk volume. You know, anything not to failure, that's junk volume. When I read that online, I'm like, this guy's gotta be 23. Cause that's, it's not yeah. junk volume. That's low volume similar. training is in right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, if you're not going to failure, it's junk volume, like, please. No, come on. That's how skills are built. You don't build skills working into the red. But getting yeah. back to the variety thing, I mean, like, yeah, again, you nailed it. You want to learn a program and then get at least a month in and then it starts to, now you're challenged with the musculature and more so the nervous system. But I get the, you know, I get the urge for varieties, but you know, this stuff does get boring, especially if you're not really into it. Like we're so into weight training. It's always, yeah. but you can even program in variety, like 
if I have somebody who likes to travel or if they have to travel or they have, you know, occasional days where they got to work out at an office gym or, or whatever, like there's your variety day. That's the day when you, okay, when you if, it ha- if it falls on a training day, go in and just get a pump. You know, do all the stuff, yeah. do, all, do all the cable curls, man, do like, all that stuff. Just leave feeling good, you know? Yeah, exactly. I guess that's going to be way more productive than if you go in there. And let's say it's, a, it's not an ideal facility, like a hotel gym. And you're like, oh, I'm supposed to do, <laughs> I'm supposed to do my back squats with chains and a four second or whatever. And all they got is like. Dumbbells you know, to 55, right? <laughs> that's right. And a napkin dispenser. And you're like, okay, I, I, don't have much to, <laughs> I don't have much to work with here. Like that's when doing these just completely kind of off the cuff. I call them pump and pose workouts. Like that's ideal because you're still going to get a pump and and there is a utility to that. Maybe it's not ideal muscle building work. It's not ideal, but for that context, it is ideal. And it kind of circles back to what I was saying earlier. It's like the context determines what the ideal thing is. You know, if if you're one of these people who has to travel, say a week out of the month, I have a lot of people like that. That's the week where we unload and maybe you'll do a few gym sessions, but it's just whatever you want. You just show up and whatever you want, get a pump. And then yeah. when you work it into the program as a, as a periodic deload, it's, it's actually very effective. Yeah, I think that's a great yeah. way to, to frame it, right? It, it's amazing how many times, I mean, I've experienced this personally and seen it with clients where they're saying, Eric, can you create a workout for me? You know, I'm, I'm going to be at this hotel. Here's my equipment. <laughs> okay, I, know, I know where this is going. You know, and like 80% of the time, one, it doesn't get done. So, and like, I know that kind of going in, like there's that aspect of it. But a lot of times when somebody actually pulls back, especially if they've been consistently long-term, yeah. even if they drink more yeah. and eat more, they come back from that vacation and they're like, how the hell am I down three pounds? Yeah. And then they come back in the next workout and they're stronger. Right. And I think what that speaks to is something we've hinted at already is like this overall stress tends to be higher. And so when we can take some time to de-stress the body, well, it's amazing. We have this thing called super compensation that takes place where the workout that you're doing this week, it's not like you're fully recovered from it tomorrow or the next day. It's a systemic process where your body's still recovering from that work. And so tying that back into why we want to do complete programs, well, the program that you're doing right now, and this is why you want to stick with things consistently that make sense that are probably programmed by an expert and built for you is if you stack your programs in successfully with the right volume, with the right breaks tied in, you're actually recovering from that previous workout and continuing to make progress mm-hmm. during that next phase. And a lot mm-hmm. of people just want to change it so fast that they shoot themselves in the foot that they can't really recover from all the hard work that they're doing. And for example, try to plow through something on vacation, then get stressed and beat themselves up because they didn't follow the perfect workout with back squats with chains, you know, when you're staying at <laughs> fucking, you know, holiday, holiday in. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, that's so true. I mean, just, and again, but I, I also have people that they don't, they feel that if they don't work out. Okay. I need to, I need to work out when I'm on vacation. Otherwise I, I get out of rhythm and I'll just eat or I'll just drink. And I get that. I get that. Those are, no, those are those are serious. Often there are issues beyond my pay grade, but I get it. And if, and if exercise helps you manage that, then of course I'll. But I still will put together a workout. I'll be like, just go have fun. Like you know what? You can walk into a gym and and you know if it's leg day, you know what do they got? You know do you know two to three sets of twelve to fifteen on everything, and it's gonna work. And then invariably they'll start to you know, they'll fumble around a few things. They'll, they'll create a workout for themselves. Yeah. And they start to become self-sufficient. Exactly. And they'll get a pump and they'll get that mental fix that they need to, you know, manage their diet effectively and go on with their day. But yeah, you don't need a, if you're programming right while you're at home, then you don't need these restrict, you know, these set things while you're away. But I'm more like you, if I'm away, I still, I still work out. Do enough of this stuff while I'm, while I'm home. And that's, that's another, but that's my particular context. So, yeah, I mean, I was just gone for a week visiting family, um, and, uh, kind of traveling around the state of Wisconsin, you know, seeing different people. And like, 
I'm not going to go drop into a gym when I see these people very rarely. So yeah. what did I do? I mean, I stayed active, you know, mm-hmm. I kept my diet relatively in check despite having some, mm-hmm. you know, beer and cheese curds and a good time. But it was like, Hey, I did some pushups one day. I did some squats another day, but it wasn't yeah. anything structured. It was like, cool. I'll just knock some out. So I feel good. And then on with mm-hmm. the next thing. And then yeah. now that I'm back, I'm just right back on track. Right. And, and sometimes yeah. we tend to dramatically overestimate what we can accomplish in a week and dramatically <laughs> underestimate what happens over time. Yeah. And so in a greater scope of things, like having one week, that's not optimal in that regard. So you can focus on different areas of your life. It's going to allow you to actually perform better in all the other things mm-hmm. while building a more sustainable long-term approach to fitness. And the consistency yeah. is what people need, especially when we're talking from a longevity perspective. If you can, if, I always tell people, if I can get them two to you know eight to 12 weeks being, you know, at that, ideally at that 90% consistent point, if you can do that for eight to 12 weeks, you basically, you're kind of, you're kind of in the mix then. And then you can, you banked, like you, you've banked a week off, in my opinion, you banked a week off where you just you go away and you don't really think about this stuff. Uh, whether it's your nutrition or your training and you can expand that like the more of these blocks that you have where you're at this night or i think 90 percent is kind of like the sweet spot where you're at this level of consistency with your diet and your training and the longer you do it the more moderation you can have you know it's kind of the the, the irony of all this is that you have to <laughs> the more consistent you are the more moderate you can be um and you know that's kind of getting back to as you get older Moderation is tough for people. They're like, okay, I want to be able to do things at an ideal level where you have to kind of self-moderate. Yeah, definitely. And you, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Twitter X. I don't oh, know fuck. what the fuck Elon, like <laughs> Elon thing that's going on, right? But you yeah. mentioned something the other day and it was, you know, one of the biggest benefits long-term of, of building lean muscle is it gives you that flexibility where you yeah. can have more of that moderation and enjoy life a little bit more. And it's always wild to me when I see people, you know, come into the coaching program and they've been focusing on losing fat for so long, calories so low for so long that, you know, Mm -hmm. metabolic function, everything is just kind of, you know, kind of in the shitter, right? Where it's like, if we shift that focus to building lean muscle, it's crazy because you can start to eat more. Mm -hmm. You can start to fit in all these foods that you've wanted to fit in throughout Mm -hmm. and your body becomes this metabolic machinery where you have so much more flexibility to actually have that sustainable approach where you look the way that you want to look and you can enjoy your life at the same time. I see. Yeah, I see it a lot, um, especially more on the low carb side too. You know, when I get people, I've had a few of these late, lately, just they're guys and they're, they're in good shape. You know, now they're middle aged, but they're still in good shape. They train strong. They're also, you know, just a little bit leaner. Just like to be a little bit leaner. And, and I look at them. Yeah, they got. You know, I, I get what they're coming. They're not overweight by any means, but I get what they're saying. And invariably, it's just you know their calories aren't that high. You know, sometimes you know twenty two hundred, two thousand, sometimes eighteen hundred, and you know they just but the carbs are always so low. You know, and when you can get people exercising more and then lowering their fats and using carbs and, like, and keep titrating their carbs up, all of a sudden things really start happening. Now I know I'm getting into the weeds a little bit. That's more of a kind of a physique competitor kind of mindset. But, but yeah, I mean, the, that's yeah. that's a good conversation to have. Yeah. But even, yeah, even for the lay person, like you, you get into these patterns where you, know, you kind of like, oh, this is the diet that I do. This is the diet that works for me. And frankly, diet needs change over time and your activity levels, whether you know or not, they change over time. And so it's, it's good to kind of just occasionally pull back and self audit and try something different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think you're hitting on a, mo- a lot of key points here where, yeah. you know, sometimes I will use tools like intermittent fasting and I will use the lower carbohydrate yeah. diets, great ways yeah. to improve insulin sensitivity, kind of, you know, improve overall discipline when it comes to nutrition. But I think a lot of people run some of these popular ideas really into the ground and it's <laughs> to, to their detriment. 
for way for way too long. You know what I mean? And as you kind of mentioned, it's like we've got to be able to give the body a break. We've got to be able to pivot from one thing to another. And there has to be a synergy between the way that you're training and the fuel that you're giving your body. And so mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like if all of a sudden you're training way more, your activity level is mm-hmm. way higher, but calories are way lower, especially carbohydrates, which are going to be the ideal fuel source for these yeah. things, and you're already in decent shape without metabolic issues, that's just going to lead to more issues down the road, right? Yeah, okay. So like we need to be able to balance like what our, our nutrition is like, what our macronutrient split is like in relation to our activity. So yeah, if you're going to have a lot more activity, we probably want to have the carbohydrates a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. It's going to support you. Man, people just don't count. They just don't track well when they're on low carb. As soon as, as soon as the fats get high, you can always assume they're probably about 50% higher than they think. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just had a new client. She did a um, just a you know caloric review based on everything right there. She's like, holy shit, Eric, I'm having about 450 calories more than I thought. And, like, and so <laughs> what was higher? She's like, my fat, like my protein was dialed in, but like my yeah. fat was just a lot higher because- Fats got nine calories per gram versus a carbohydrate versus protein, you know, both at four, you know, it's not that high fat, you know, every diet strategy is a tool, right? But the issue with a lot of high fat diets and and we can easily overconsume calories, even while thinking that we're doing everything right. And without somewhat of a caloric control over time, that's when people get really frustrated and they're like, nothing works for me, right? The reality is you got to find something where there's some form of control in terms of the calorie allotment and be willing to track so we have some data so we can make actual decisions on where to improve. I just know that when I uh, allow myself that one tablespoon of peanut butter, and I'll have that one tablespoon, then I'll look yes. at the jar. It'd be like a per- like a full jar, and then I'll look at it the next day after my one tablespoon. I'm like, wow, a quarter of it's gone. That was, a, that was one hell of a tablespoon I had. I know what you mean, right? Like if we have cashews in the house, like, listen, like, look at my thumb. Like this is a serving of cashews. That's like three or four cashews. It, it is. It is. And like, you know what, when I'm having cashews, like I'm cleaning that thing out, I'm having handfuls and like a handful of cashews is like 450 calories. Yeah. That's like eating, you know, eight yeah. to 12 ounces of chicken breast in terms of yeah. the calorie allotment. Right. So people tend to get in a lot of, a uh, lot of mm-hmm. trouble with that if they are not really dialed in those portion sizes. But that's, now, see, but that shows a lot of humility on your, you know, and it's and sort of like me with the peanut butter. If you got to own your, like, okay, this is my, for me, I'm like, peanut butter is my thing. It's my kryptonite. It's my, it's my, it's my, my so it's Hunter's crack that he left yeah. <laughs> when, he, when he dropped by unannounced. But uh, that's my, so I can't have it in the house. I can't have Hunter in the house. Hunter's not allowed over and I can't have peanut butter in my house, man. Cause I'll just, I'll just overconsume it. And if, if, if for you, if that's cashews, if it happens to be like, why have it in the house? You know? That's exactly it, right? Like, don't make yeah. it hard for yourself where you have to right. rely on willpower when your brain's completely shot at the yeah. end of the day already. Like, just don't allow certain foods in your house or at least put a layer mm-hmm. where you have to actually make a decision before you reach for it, yeah. right? Um, like, a common example, you know, I recall a client who, you know, again, this stuff can be outside of our pay grade that we deal with on occasion, but mm-hmm. every night was a nightcap. Every night was probably <laughs> yeah. full nightcaps, right? And yeah, so, like, yeah. the big issue was, like, he's got a bar right in his living room where he just goes and decompresses. So like the first stage was like, listen, you can have the alcohol in the house, but it can't be where you go automatically. Like we have to put something else that's in that. So we create more friction from that decision. Right. And when you look at things through that lens of like, if I'm struggling with this thing, how can I keep it out of my immediate environment? So it's not so accessible. It at least gives you the chance to make a proactive decision instead of just reacting and going into automation mode. Yeah. You know, and I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing because that is a kind of on a similar wavelength. I was I was 
bit of Debbie Downers, whenever, remember when everyone started working their alcohol into their mac, was it working alcohol into their macros? Yep. Oh, either reducing the fats, reducing the carbs. I remember feeling like the online Debbie Downer going, this isn't good. This isn't good. Like, this is- I, I definitely did that for a photo shoot once. I went out like three weeks before and had like 12 vodkas. I'm like, I guess I'm drinking protein shakes. Right? I'm just, yeah, I ate steak and vodka. That's my diet. But, but I've, and I've had clients who are like, you know what, we, I can help you work this into your diet, but I don't think this is a good idea. Like, you know, see, that's where you have to kind of know yourself. And some people, it, it absolutely is. It's a nightcap. It's that one drink before bed, and it rarely goes above one. Other people, it's, if it's <laughs> it's not a good fit for them, that's you know, not a good one fit. becomes eleven. You know, like one that's that's the way it goes for some, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and so it's about it's about knowing yourself. Yeah, those individual context. Yeah. Yep, yeah. that's the key. Individual yeah. context. Obviously, health becomes a greater factor, and I know I've seen just definitely a shift and talking about kind of wellness and longevity with, with a lot of your content. So when somebody say 40, the thing I see all the time is, you know, people talk about, Hey, I'm worried about my hormones, my metabolism is slowing down and yeah. all this, which yeah. Yeah. the reality for most people is like you slowed down and you just kind yeah. of kept eating more, but mm-hmm. like, what are some baseline things that you like to focus on any particular su- supplements, um, tests, regular blood work, anything well, like that? Well, yeah, you definitely want to, the big thing with, with blood work is, um, that's such a nebulous term. Like you want to have a good expansive profile, rattle off all the tests, but you want to start young. You want to start, you don't want to wait till when you're 45, oh, I'm going to start running some labs. Oh my gosh, my testosterone's low. Well, maybe it's been low your whole life. And, you know, there's certainly, they're very jacked, very muscular, very healthy people who are, just have naturally low testosterone and they're perfectly fine. They're much manlier than I am, you know, so that's not a thing, but just that's how they're, they're wired. But if you don't test until you're Let's say you're not feeling so great in your mid forties, you kind of lost your lost your jam, so to speak, and you run a test that shows you're low. That's your only thing you're going off of. Maybe things started to dip three, four years ago, and you just didn't know it. In other words, it's good to start building this baseline when you're around your age. Yeah, um, you know, I think people have gotten a little bit kind of a little too hot and heavy about hormones and lab work. I mean, yes, get the testing, get it done, but you always want to start with lifestyle. You want to get a good physician who treats your symptoms as much as the numbers. Like, you know, I, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll read stuff online. People will be, oh, my testosterone's down 20 points. And I'm kind of like, I had testing just a month or two ago. They screwed up the collection. I had to go back a half hour later. I think I think literally somebody dropped one of the vials or something. So I had to go back and get, <laughs> give them another sample. So I had two rounds done. And in half an hour, my testosterone changed by 50 points. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I didn't do anything in that half an hour. I didn't go and know. Uh, go attack a bear or attack my wife or anything like it's just... attack a bear that's the most canadian thing you've said <laughs> well so we do <laughs> that's how i met my wife she's attacking a bear but um but so it's like the, there's there's inherent problems with like margins of error with the labs and everything so if you get a little too caught up in these numbers you can kind of miss the forest for the trees like the symptoms how you feel is still the biggest thing but just pulling back to health that uh, you want to get a baseline of of all these like lipids and uh, obviously the basic endocrinology and uh, want to get a baseline. Oh, PSA, obviously. Yeah. Um, I like to get organ, like, organ function, yeah. things like yeah. you know, liver yeah. enzymes, kidneys, all, mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you, then you can look for fluctuations and trends and stuff like that. But the first step is always, is, isn't a Medicaid for, for any of these things. It's always lifestyle. It's sleep, you know, it's sunlight. It is finding ways to reduce stress. And again, that's not just journaling and, and, and chanting in a corner. It's like, you know, adding rhythm and structure to your life that lowers stress naturally. Like these are the things that make big differences in those in those numbers. And I think sometimes we get a little caught up. Oh, I oh, I need this supplement, or I need oh, I gotta go to the TRT clinic. You know, 
Like, Definitely. Yeah, I see that all the time, right? People yeah. get very concerned about these things. And the first thing to look for is, you know, what supplement should I take for, for hormone health? And without <laughs> focusing on the lifestyle aspects, right? And it's like, yeah. one, if you don't know what the numbers are, you can't make an informed decision yeah. anyway if something works. It's like, I'd much rather have you go spend, you know, go through a good doctor and get blood work yeah. or spend 250 out of pocket and get a blood draw with somebody like Blokes where you can actually get a comprehensive panel and yeah. make some decisions from that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like you have to be able to track these things over yeah. time because mm-hmm. you know, I have this conversation a lot with my clients. And, you know, as an example, I had a guy who's like, oh yeah, my test levels were 400 and my mm-hmm. doctor said I'm fine. Ranges right. can be 300 yeah. to 1,000, but if you've never had any blood work, mm-hmm. we're not going to know. If you've been 400 your entire adult life, probably not That's an issue. It. If you're exactly. 800 and now you're 400, I mean, you're going to have probably rectal dysfunction or sexual dysfunction to some extent. You're going to be very symptomatic with a lot of things. So having yeah, that baseline is crucial. Yeah. You never want to go from, oh, I got this low level and then go search, start looking for symptoms because you'll fucking find them. You know what I mean? If you, if you have the, you have this bug in your head now, oh man, my test is low. Yeah. You know what? I am depressed. You know what? I, I do get brain fog. You know what? You know, sometimes I have trouble getting an erection. Like you'll just start, you'll start creating these things. It's, you know, it's, it's the game the drug companies play with you watch the cable news and if you have this symptom, that symptom, you know, if you start thinking about all these symptoms, like, holy shit, I do have that, you know? So it's, it's always best to figure it, determine if you got these symptoms first, then get the lab work. And ideally, if you have, if your lab showed that there's a problem, get them redone. Nobody does that, but um, just to confirm that, and then start with lifestyle vindicated or, or medication. I'd go lifestyle medication, then supplements. Never actually, I'd never go supplements. It's just, just not worth it. But, no, I mean, yeah. most supplements carry a lot of the same risks without the actual yeah. same reward, right? Especially <laughs> yeah. with testosterone based stuff. Oh, that's, yeah. I don't, yeah, I should qualify. I love many supplements I take. Anything to do with testosterone that I just don't even bother. Yeah, yeah, I hear 100%. 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Brian, well, this has been incredible, incredibly insightful. Where can we find out more about you? Well, geez, man, thing. Where am I? I'm, uh, I was going to say, I, I used to always say that as is, well, I'm on Facebook. I'm never on Facebook anymore. I think I still have a presence there, though. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's just my full name, B-R-Y-A-N-K-R-A-H-N. Uh, it's probably the best way. That's also the, the URL for my blog, so briancron.com. Probably find me on Facebook, too. I'll have to go check, see if I'm still up there. Awesome. Well, everyone, Brian is such an incredible source of information and wisdom. He's been doing this for so long, and he can provide a lot more wisdom to all the all the tidbits and you know, facts and random shit that you see on the internet and really help synthesize it into a comprehensive plan. So Brian, thank you so much, both for your wisdom and guidance over the years, but uh, also your time today. Hey, my pleasure. Great to see you. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend. Yeah.